but we're going to be looking at part four. And today I've entitled the message is Shine Bright at Work. And uh, we're going to talk today is how do, we, how do we work in such a way that we leave a lasting legacy and we impact eternity? How, how do we work beyond just merely getting a paycheck or contributing to our organization's bottom line, which are great things? How do, we, how do we work in such a manner that actually accomplishes far more than that and uh, really makes a difference in uh, people's lives? Again, not just for now, but for eternity. And this whole phrase of shining bright at work uh, comes Matthew 5, 14 and 16. Jesus says this, you are the light of the world. Uh, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says, shine bright with your good deeds. They would glorify God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, so whether you are a nurse at Walter Reed or a fellow at NIH or the owner of a small business or a teacher or a full-time parent, uh, whatever you do, you work for the government, uh, you're a paralegal, you're a lawyer, you're a whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And here's the big thought I want to share with you today is that we, we leave a lasting legacy and impact eternity when we work for God's glory, when that's our focus. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture out of Daniel chapter 6. Uh, if you've been around church, you know this passage. I'm going to encourage you to look at it with fresh eyes. For some of you, it's a new passage, and it's the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And uh, we're going to look at from the lens point of Daniel as an employee in the kingdom of Babylon and how he responds and how he ultimately impacts uh, eternity in people's lives, as well as leaves a lasting legacy. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your, your word. It's truly a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. We pray that as we open it up, God, that you would speak to us, leading us and guiding us. God, we posture our hearts and minds to receive from you. God, may you speak through me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Here, here's the first thought I want to share. I'm going to share with you three principles from Daniel's life that um, I believe we see Daniel impacts eternity and leaves a legacy because of it. Here's the first one uh, for you to write down, is that we need to first work with excellence. Work with excellence. For those who don't know, in Daniel 6, or Daniel, Daniel 1, Daniel enters the kingdom of Babylon as a young Hebrew boy at the age of 15. Uh, by Daniel chapter 6, he is in his 80s. Uh, so let that remind you, regardless of what age you are, God has a purpose for your life. So whether you're 15 or you're 85, God has a purpose for you because Daniel is well into his career. Uh, he, he, is a, he is a mature man here in this moment. So I want to give a context for even what he's willing to sacrifice for the sake of, of God. Daniel 6.3 says this, Daniel so distinguished himself. He, distinct, he stood out amongst his peers amongst the administrators and the satraps, by his exceptional qualities that the king had planned to set him over the whole kingdom. He, he stood out. He was a standout employee. He stood out amongst the other administrators, the other satraps, those who were leading. Daniel had exceptional qualities. You know, you're called to stand out because of your exceptional qualities. You're called to stand out because of your excellence. You know, this past week was the NFL draft. And I don't know about you, but I wish the NFL was 12 months long. Anybody else? It's like, can you just maybe have like two leagues, run it all year? And uh, I was reading some articles. Of, they had standout draft picks. 
And there were some of these wide receivers who were, had a great vertical jump and were fast and quick off the, uh, the box. And, and they, they stood out because of their exceptional qualities. Do you know, you are called to stand out for Christ by your exceptional qualities. Now, let me define what excellence is and what excellence is not. See, excellence is doing your best in trusting God with the rest. Excellence is not being the best. I hate to tell you, but more than likely, there's somebody who can do your job better than you. They can do what you do better than you, if not now, in the future. That's just the reality of life. And listen, God will not hold you accountable for something you're incapable of. He will not hold you accountable for gifts and skills you do not have, for for capacity that you do not have. And we all have a limited capacity. We're human. But he will, he is asking us to do our best. You know, there's, there's a continuum if you look at kind of our approach to, to work and life. And, and there's, there's, there's the apathetic, which the apathetic is, is um, I'm going to put in as little work as possible. Like I'm there physically, but I'm not at work mentally. I'm going to do what I can to get by. And then there's kind of the perfection, professionistic which is I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be satisfied until this is perfect. Uh, some of you are uh, recovering uh, perfectionistic type of individuals. Um, but but there's, there's, there's kind of a continuum, and people in the room may fall in different sides. So there's the apathetic, um, which Gallup did a study last year, 2020. They found that 62% of Americans are either actively disengaged at work or not engaged. They define that as you show up to work, but you don't show up to work. That, that, that you, your body's there, but your heart's not in it. And you're like, I'm going to do whatever I, I'm going to do as little as possible or just enough so I don't get fired, <laughs> so I can get by, but, but I'm not going to give it my best. I'm not going to do my best. That's a majority. So maybe even some of this room, that's where you are. And then there's the other side, which is like you're never satisfied. You're never content. You have a hard time turning off because you're, you're always trying to get better. And let me just encourage you with this because God's calling us to be excellent. So maybe you find yourself in this apathetic. And maybe you're in a work environment where it's okay to do as little as possible. And can I encourage you? Here's the good news. Colossians 3.23 says, we don't merely work for an earthly boss. We actually work for the king of kings. So even in an apathetic environment, we are called to be excellent. I'm preaching better than y'all responding, but that's okay, though. As you know, I bring my own encouragement. Right now, it's in my head. That we're called not to, not to lower our level of work to the culture around us or our character or our morality, but we actually work for Christ himself. Therefore, even if you don't do your best, I'm going to do my best. Even if I don't get recognized or promoted because of it, I'm still going to do it. Why? Because I work for Jesus not for merely a man or a woman, not, not for this particular work culture. And just so you know, even if you say, well, my boss isn't worthy of my best, maybe he or she is not, but Christ is. And even you're thinking, Jeremy, it won't matter. I won't get recognized. I won't get paid more. Well, that's not your primary motivation anyway. It's to glorify God. So even without the recognition from your boss, we, we do it anyway. And then the, 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 the other side of it is trying to be perfect. There's only one perfect, and his name is Christ. So ease up on yourself. Lower the expectations of yourself. And last week we spoke of take, take a day of rest unto God, a Sabbath. Let off the expectation and, and unto him. First Kings 10, 4 and 5, I love this because the King Solomon, 
in Israel, the queen of Sheba comes to visit him. And I want you to hear what she says. She says, she realized how very wise Solomon was. She came to visit his palace. She saw the palace he had built. She was overwhelmed. That word overwhelmed in the Hebrew means breathless. She was left breathless. She, she, she couldn't even catch her breath. She was so, such an awe. By the food on his tables, the organization of his officials, their splendid clothing, the cupbearers, the burnt offerings Solomon made. Catch this, verse 9. Praise the Lord your God, Queen of Sheba said, who delights in you, who has placed you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. He has made you king and you can rule with justice and righteousness. Scholars say the Queen of Sheba gave her life over to God because of Solomon's excellence. Excellence matters. She was like, I haven't seen excellence like this in all of the land. That's why Solomon's like, because I'm working for a kingdom you cannot see. Are you catching me, church? Because I work for a king who you don't know about. I'm actually not the king. He's the king of kings. And she, she, she saw this difference in, in Solomon. She saw he was standing out. You know, I was reminded of, and I was thinking of being overwhelmed or left breathless. Three years ago, we took our two oldest kids to Disney World for the first time. We've been back since. Uh, hopefully, we'll go again in the near future. And um, I remember it hadn't been since I was a kid. And I was like left breathless. I was overwhelmed. Come on, I was breathless and broke after I went there. Come on. But you do it all over again because it's so good. You go to Disney World, you don't see a piece of trash on the ground. But there's like 100,000 people there. Like, you, 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 like, it's like spotless. It's everything is excellent. Everything is intentional. Do you know at night, they have every single car, every single ride is individually checked. Does it measure our quality of safety, our standard? They're incredibly excellent, like everything. That's why we were there from like morning to night. We exhausted ourselves. Why? Wow, it was just so incredible to be there. And uh, I remember one particular moment I had, I went to go buy a frozen lemonade for my kids. And I wanted to get two cups. So one cup for them and one cup for Christina and I because these like frozen lemonades are like a sugar bomb. Uh, so we were like, let's just get a half, a little bit for our kids. So I said, hey, can we have two cups, like one lemonade, but two cups to split? So she hands me the cups and both of them are full. And I was like, ma'am, I don't think you heard me correctly. I said one lemonade, two cups. She's like, no, we did. But we want to make sure that, that the parents have a magical day too. I was like, so what'd you put in this lemonade? How magical of a day am I about to have, okay? I got to drive home, okay? Don't play. <laughs> Ain't going to be getting arrested at Disney World because I was having a magical day, okay? <laughs> but we were left, it was overwhelming. Like, there was all these little moments of just, it's, Disney stands out. Like there's no comparison when it comes to theme parks. Uh, why? Because of their, their excellence. You are called to stand out for Christ because of your excellence. What does it look like for you to get better at your craft, for you to do your best? Again, remember, not the best, your best. If you are leading people, you're a manager, are you developing those leadership skills? Are you developing, if you're in the, the, the area of maybe artists or, cra or graphics, or are you developing those skills? How are you developing yourself to be the best at your best at what you do. 
Part of being excellent is also being generous. Hebrews 13, 16, the author of Hebrews says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. When we live open-handed, when we live in a posture that I want to bless other people, that I want to be generous to other people, that I want to do good to others, that it actually pleases God. And here's what generosity looks like at work very practically, I believe, is you add value to people around you. I once heard John Maxwell, a business leader, author, coach, he said, every interaction I have, I try to add value to people. When you're around someone who adds value, you, you sense that spirit of generosity. Remember, I worked some years ago with this woman named Ann, and we were both psychologists and working in the same school division. And she was just someone who was always adding value. She would send me different opportunities to grow and develop. Hey, I thought about you. You should go check this out. She would share resources, share knowledge. She would even think through ways she could add value to the children and the family she was serving, the school where she worked. She was always looking, how can I add value? Like you wanted to be around Ann. I've also worked with other, another coworker who will remain nameless because they were the opposite. They would withhold information intentionally. There was this kind of spirit of, of comparison. Can I say this? There's enough comparison in our world. Can we as the people of God be generous, not, not, not competitive? Can I tell you, like, when you work for the, listen, here's how you know. Here's how you know you're, you're no longer working for the glory of God. You're competing with your coworker. You're called the bless your coworker. First service didn't get that one. That was free for you all. Thank you, Lord. Come on, I'll be honest with myself. When, when you're comparing yourself amongst yourself, which Paul says is not wise, you know you are falling out of working solely for the glory of God because now you're working perhaps for your own glory. Call to be generous, add, add value to people around you. I love how Tim Keller, the author of Every Good Endeavor, a book that informed this series and we actually have it. You can pick it up out of the uh, merchandise area. He says this, that we are to see work as a way of service to God and our neighbor. And so we should both choose and conduct our work accordance with that purpose. What would it look like for you to add value to your organization outside of your job description? Add value to your clients. Add value to your coworkers. Hey, manager, add value to your staff. How can you bless your staff? How about you give credit Instead of taking all the credit, how can you add value to people around you? Work with excellence. Here's number two we see from Daniel's life is work with enduring integrity. We've got to have an integrity that endures. It says this that in verse four. At this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs. For they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. I love this. Here they are in a modern example. They're, they're snooping into his office when office hours are over, going through his files. They, they hack into his computer looking for an email he shouldn't have sent, maybe some gossip, maybe looking for through reports. Is there anywhere where he misrepresented himself, where he maybe contorted some figures to, rep, to, to reflect better on him? Is there any way he was dishonest or any way that he was lacking integrity? They could find nothing on Daniel. It's where they were like, well, we gotta, well, the only thing we can do is make a law that it's actually illegal to pray to anyone but the king, which we'll get to. 
that Daniel was found faultless. Can I encourage you? Let, let, let us be people who work in such a way that people cannot find anything against us. If they were to see all the emails you sent, all the conversations you have, that they, they could not find anything that fought against us. Now listen, the beauty of God's word is God does not just say, here's the word, now go do it. He actually wants to help lead you and shape you and guide you into it. That's why I find it is so critical to reflect the character of God. We need to be every day in the word of God. Can I tell you, the word of God every day shapes my character. It convicts my heart. I'm a better husband because I read the word of God. I'm a better leader because I read the word of God. Why? Because the word of God and the spirit of God shapes me. Allow it to shape you. Submit to his word every single day. And let me just give this also, because sometimes living with integrity will not feel good. You may live in a culture where it's common to kind of fudge some figures or maybe elevate that a little bit to make yourself look good. And sometimes being integrous means being honest enough to allow it to look poorly on your performance. But you know you did it with integrity. And can I tell you, that kind of life honors God. That kind of life glorifies God. And can I tell you, integrity will ultimately lead to a blessing upon your life. Titus 2, Paul says this, referencing to, to, to bond servants. He says this, urge bond servants, says to Titus, to be subject to their own masters and everything to be pleasing and not talk back, to not steal things regardless of value, but prove themselves trustworthy. We see that word again. So that in every respect, they will adorn and do credit to the teaching of God our Savior. Now, in that culture, it was common for, for servitude. It was a common uh, profession. Uh, honestly, people were in, uh, lived as servants. He wasn't making a statement on the, on the industry. He was just saying, here's how you Here's how you respond when you're in it. Be trustworthy. One translation says, so that you make the teachings of our Savior more attractive. It actually makes the teachings of Jesus more attractive when you live trust with, with, with a sense of trustworthiness. In Colossians 4.1, I think we have that for the screen. Now this is referencing leaders. He says masters, so those in authority. Treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. In other words, both sides act justly, act fairly, act integrously, act in a way that's trustworthy, act respectfully, act honorably. It makes teachings of our Christ more attractive. I was reminded of a story in actually Tim Keller's book of a man named Howard. He was interviewing for a job, and they asked him what his current salary was. And he told them a number that was 4% higher than the actual number he was making. But he felt justified. His justification was, well, they're going to give me less vacation time. Just a little side note. You know you may be acting against the will of God and your own conviction when you have to justify it. It's like a parent. When I, when I go to correct my children, well, dad, 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 dad. It's like, I already know now. <laughs> you were trying to justify why you hit your brother. <laughs> the fact is you hit your brother. Like it doesn't, this is, you hit your brother. He was wrong. Too. You're both wrong, but you hit your brother. If you find yourself justified, well, well, God, that's the way it is in this culture. You, you have to gossip a little bit to get by. You have to bend the ethic curve a little bit. This is the kind of the way we do things, God. But he's called us to a higher way, a way that's trustworthy and honorable. 
a way that we live with integrity. So Howard felt convicted. He went home and he felt like his thought was this, I have breached my integrity for a little bit of more money. And here's the thought he had. If I allow greed to take root in my heart, it's gonna end up destroying my life and ultimately reflecting poorly upon my Savior. So he went back to that business and he repented. And he said, listen, I, I gave you the wrong number intentionally. Listen, it is worth it to live and to work with Integrity Church. Can I tell you, our culture has enough examples of people lacking integrity, and unfortunately, even in the name of Jesus. Can I encourage us? Can, can, I, can I challenge you? Is there any area of your life where you're not lacking integrity? Integrity means integrated life. I mean, you're the same person at church, at work, as you are at church, as you are at home, as you are when no one is looking and no one knows. Integrity usually shows up when you're doing something that no one will ever find out about. Does it still align with who you proclaim to be and the God that we serve? Proverbs 11.3 says this, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. We have all seen, even publicly in the news, people destroyed by their duplicity. They say one thing, and they do another. Now listen, God wants to help you. God wants to shape you. It's also the importance of community. She can have others around you who can encourage you, lovingly hold you accountable, and pray for you because your integrity will guide you. Our integrity and our character often can come out by the words that we speak and the words that we write. Colossians 4, 6, Paul says this, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt so that they may know how to answer everyone. Have you ever gone somewhere, maybe you cooked something at home and it tasted bland? And then you put a little bit of miracle dust on there, i.e. salt, come on little sea salt, then all of a sudden it's amazing. That's my secret with broccoli and any green vegetable. Salt, here's the other one. If I wrote the scripture, I would have been like seasoned with salt and cheese. Come on. That's like glory from heaven. Like salt and cheese, it doesn't matter what you eat. It's amazing. Like without it, it tastes like trash. With salt and cheese, you're like, dear God, I'm a chef, right? No, I just put cheese on it. <laughs> Thank God for cheese. Season with salt. What does salt do? Salt makes things better. Salt enhances. So, so, do your words make those around you at work better? Do they encourage them? Can I challenge you this week? If you see a coworker or you see one of your team members that you lead at work, or even you see your boss do something great, call it out. Man, you did a fantastic job leading that meeting. Hey, when you do that presentation on Zoom, man, you did an incredible job. Hey, the way that you handle that patient shows such compassion, such excellence, such care. I'm telling you, just this past week, I was around uh, someone who gave me this word of encouragement. And if you've received encouragement, you know what it's like. It's that season with salt. It's just, you feel like, wow, thank you. You felt, feel built up. So what Paul said in Ephesians 4.29, he says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear it. He says, let no corrupting talk, no, no talk that's going to be corrupting, only to build up. Or some years back, I had a moment where I was allowing corrupting talk to come out of my mouth. So I was at home uh, in our kitchen, and Christina and I were getting ready for dinner. And uh, I was getting some things off my chest. 
And at first, it started in a healthy way. I was processing my day, which I think is healthy. It's important you process your emotions. I think it's a healthy part of life to keep a healthy soul, um, whether it's with someone or in a journal, do something. But then it went into, it crossed a line where it went from processing to venting. <laughs> where I no longer was merely saying, here's how I feel and here's where I am. I began to slander a person. I was just kind of talking negatively about this person. And, and it was uh, someone who I had tension with at work. So after I got done, I took a breath. Christina said, she kind of looked at me. She was like, Jeremy, do you think those words you are speaking about this person honors them and honors God? And when she said it, I knew she was right. So, so I started to be trying to be intentional to stop. Like, this person wasn't there. It wasn't even at work. So I thought, this is okay. But our words, the Bible says, are the power of life and death. Not just when you're in front of the person, but even behind their back. And can I tell you, I would love to say I stopped talking negatively about them. And then two days later, miraculously, they were like best friends with me. In fact, the relationship got a little bit worse. Do you know what did change? My heart, my heart changed towards them. Instead of slandering them, I, when I would feel this kind of like frustration boil up, here's what I would do. I would try to bless them. I would pray for them. Like, dear God, bless them in the name of Jesus. Because if I don't bless them, I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth, Lord. Can I tell you? I felt more peace in my heart. They didn't change, but I changed. Can I give you a little side note? A lot of times when you're wanting somebody else to change, God's actually wanting you to change. You think it's them and God's like, no, 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 no. Actually, here, come here, come here. It's you. It's you. It's your heart. It's your lack of humility, Jeremy. It's your corrupting talk, Jeremy. I care about your heart. I'll deal with them, but I want to deal with you right now. Is there, maybe for some of you, there's some ways, maybe the team that you lead at work, how have you been speaking about them? Was, is the way that you're talking about your team honoring God? How about your boss? I know managers always get the best of our language. Is it honoring God? And not just at work, but in private when nobody else knows. Come on, let's be people who bless others. That when we think of them, just try to, it won't, it won't feel good. I'm telling you, I've been there. It won't always feel good. But it's the right thing to do. Bless them, bless them. Why? Because our words shape our world. And most importantly, our internal one. And they matter. So work with enduring integrity. Here's the last one I'm gonna share with you. And that's work with eternity in mind. So what happens next is there's a decree written by King Darius that if uh, the, the other satraps, Daniel's haters, convince the king to write a decree, a law, saying if you pray to anybody else other than King Darius, side note, you may have an issue with pride if you write that decree, <laughs> then you will be thrown into the lion's den. Now I want you to catch this in verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went home 
to his upstairs room with the, with the, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times each day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God. I want you to catch this last phrase, just as he had done before. Daniel praying in this moment, he wasn't praying in response to the decree. This wasn't the emergency exit prayer, like, dear God, help me. What did he do? He heard about the decree, unshaken. He did what he always did. He got up. He had a set hour prayer, morning, noon, and night. He opened the windows to Jerusalem, as was common for Jews in Babylon. He opened it towards Jerusalem, and he prayed as he always did. Scholars say this. The reason they, the, 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 his, the other satraps found out about this, because by opening his windows, people would have heard him and saw him praying. I want you to note this. Daniel, when, he, when the decree went out, Daniel didn't say, well, I'm going to go. I need to now just, I'm a, I'm a, hey, Lord, I'm going to close the windows just this one time. <laughs> I'm going to pray underneath my breath. He opened the windows and he prayed out loud. You know what that tells me? Daniel, at 80 years old, here's what that tells me. Daniel put his trust in God. He didn't trust in his position. He didn't trust in the king. He didn't even trust, like, he honored God more than his own physical life. Like, he would have known they're going to find out. But Daniel, in this moment, what did the Bible say? He did just as he had always done before. I think in Daniel's mind, he was thinking, you know what, king? You can do what you want, but you're not the one who put me in this position. God did. Satraps, you can scheme all you want. You can talk behind my back. You can stab me in the back all you want. But guess what? My promotion doesn't come from the north, south, east, or west. It comes from God. Therefore, even in this kingdom that is wicked, even even in this kingdom, I might lose my very life. I'm going to worship God. And can I tell you, can I just be a little bit honest with you today, church? There will come a time, if it hasn't already, where you're going to face a rub. Are you going to stand firm on your faith? Are we going to cave into the culture? It happened then, and it's, and it's going to happen. Here's the question. Where do you put your hope? Who do you think your provider actually is? It comes out in these moments. Because Daniel says, my hope and my trust comes from God. Do what you want, king. Do what you want, satraps. Because you're not the one that controls my destiny. My God does. He has this moment where he continues to seek first, as Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God. You know, you know why Daniel was so willing to give his life? <laughs> Daniel wasn't building his, his career. He wasn't building his profession. He wasn't growing his CV. He was building the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of Babylon. And can I tell you, church, if you proclaim Christ as Lord, you're not there to build your career. You're not. You're there to build a kingdom of God. If your career builds in the process, praise God. But that's not your goal. And I say this firmly because I don't want you to stand before the king of kings at the end of days. And for you to see, man, I had my ladder up the wrong building. I was building a career. I was building wealth. I was building my kingdom. But I missed it. 
I must to seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first. Years ago, I was working in psychology, so I started having this success at work. My, right when I started the, started the profession. And I got caught up in it. I don't know if anybody else ever had this moment before. We got caught up in your success at work. And I started to go into work earlier and stay later. And here's what happened. I began to allow it to carve into my time with God in the morning. I began to allow it to take me away from my church family. I began to allow it to in, in affect my faith. And here's how I justified it. Remember, if you justify it, you know, you know you're in the wrong. I said, God, well, I'm working for you. I'm working for your glory. You know what God told me? Jeremy, I love it when you work for me. But you know what I love more? When you be with me. When you stop working. Can I tell you as a dad, you know what I love the most? I love in the morning sometimes when my kids get up and they come right next to me. And they just kind of snuggle. I love it as a dad. I love that more than when they're cleaning up their room. Although I love when they clean the room up. I love when they're just with me. Can I tell you, your father in heaven, he loves when you work for his glory, but he does not need you to work for his glory. But he wants you to be with him. Is he first in your day? Here's what that means. Ready? I'm gonna give you real practical. Do you schedule your time with God every day? Prayer and his word before your side hustle. Before you say yes to overtime. Before the gym or your workout do you is church this has been biblical for thousands of years since Christ ascended the church has gathered together is church on Sunday something that you go to you tune in on when it's you have nothing else going on your social calendar is free listen we don't gather just to connect we gather to worship the king of kings this is ultimately for him that's how I want to encourage you if you're walking on, watching online and you're able to come in, to come in to gather. This is what we've been doing for the church for thousands of years, not for, for him. Does he have the first of your month? Here's what that means, your finances. Jesus says where your treasure is, your heart will be. Do you want to know how you keep wealth out of the throne of your heart? You tithe. As simple as that. Jesus said you're either going to worship money or you're going to worship me. You can't do both. So if God's not first, I know it's gonna be strong, but if God's not first in your finances, that means money's first. I say that out of love. He wants to be first in your life. Jesus said, seek me first. All the other things, I'll take care of you. Put me first. Is he first like Daniel? Then what happens is Daniel, he, he, the night comes and he's in the lion's den. They throw him in there. The next morning, the king comes out. He called out to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And he says this, may the king live forever. He says, my God has sent his angel, in verse 22, to shut the mouths of the lions. Then in verse 23, I want you to catch this. I don't know if we have it on the screens. Yeah, the king was overjoyed he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out of the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted God. I want you to catch this. So Daniel was thrown into the lion's den because of his faith. So when, when the king comes out and says, Daniel, 
Are you there? Are you okay? He could have easily said, you know what? If I mention that it was God who shut the mouths of lions, he might keep me in here because I'm again, like that's the reason I got in trouble in the first place. He could have easily been like, oh no, king, I'm, I, they must not have been hungry. I think they had like some food before. I had a little kava. I think, I think I had Uber Eats before I got here because they weren't hungry. They looked at me, but they just... Now, what did Daniel say when the king was like, Daniel, Daniel, are you there? He said, yes. My God, the same God you put me in here for? Yeah, that God, he shut the mouths of the lions. I'm not going to explain it away like some natural occurrence. No, my God in heaven sent an angel that shut the mouths of these lions. Why? Because Daniel was like, I'm willing to miss my life, my wealth, my position, my profession. my I'm willing to risk all of it for my God because that's whom I serve. And that's who we're called to serve at work, church. You're not working for wealth. You're not working for promotion. You're not working for a raise. You're not working for a career. You're not working to move ahead. You're not working so you can network. You're not working for a resume. You are working for the God of heaven. And can I tell you, he will put you in situations where you in your best effort, you cannot shut the mouth of the lions you will face. But our God can. And he's looking all over the earth. Who's going to trust me? Who's going to glorify me? Who's going to praise me? When the culture moves this way, they're going to keep saying, I worship King Jesus. I love King Jesus. I work for Jesus. I don't work for a king. I don't work for my boss. I don't work for a paycheck. I don't work for my profession. I don't work for my resume. I work for God. And I'm sorry I get passionate, church, but I'm telling you, we are reading stories of Daniel thousands of years later. Why? Not because he was, he was the best at what he did. He was a middle manager. He trusted God. He worshiped God. He put God first, and he's worth it. He is worthy of all praise. He's worthy of all honor. He's worthy of your life. I am being passionate and strong right now, not because of anything else other than he's worth it. You have breath in your lungs. You have the ability to make money. You have a job because there was a God who spoke the world into existence, who knitted you in your mother's womb. He gave you that leadership gift. He gave you that administrative gift. He gave you the opportunity to make money. So honor him, honor him, honor him. And when the opportunity comes, I'm not saying you're going tomorrow and you have a three-point sermon, don't do that and open your Bible, but pray for the opportunities like Daniel, where someone can say, what's the reason for your hope? Why are you at peace when this place is full of stress? How do you maintain your joy in the midst of a pandemic? And you can say, let me tell you about my God, because I'm facing the same stresses you're facing. I'm facing the same hardship as you're facing. I have the same struggles as you do, but I have a God who I trust in. His name is Jesus, and I love to tell you what he did in my life because he can do it in yours as well. 
He'll do it in your life, church. Listen, we leave a lasting legacy and we impact eternity in our work when we work solely and primarily for His glory and His honor. Can you pray with me?